0: mm is the podcast where we talk about women from mythology and folklore all over the world we're your hosts i'm lizzie
1: and i'm zoe lizzie how are you doing today i'm fine i have a little bit of a cold which you can hear from my voice i think so sorry about that but um other than that doing perfectly well how are you i think it's fun thank you
0: i'm all right I'm in the middle of finals right now, and I'm doing fine with that. Like, I only have one big exam, so it should be okay, but it's not the best place to be in the world.
1: It's no, it's favorite. really not. Finals times are horrible. Mm-hmm. Being a student is, well, it's, it's very stressful.
0: Yeah, so that's that's where I'm at right now. Um, I'm pretty tired and also have to get ready to pack up and go back home for a while. So we have to plan accordingly for that. So that's exciting. It's true.
1: Yeah. Oh, this is our last, this is our last episode of 2021. Oh, it is. You're so yeah. right.
0: That's exciting.
1: Yeah, that's All crazy. Right.
0: Yeah. Wow. So this will be, a, yeah, a year and a half-ish. Not really. Year and three months. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Because we start in December, September. Our second
1: calendar year, though
0: our second our our first full
1: calendar year
0: yeah yeah that's (laughs) that's the real excitement we've (laughs) been looking at our spotify wrapped so shout out to everyone who had us in our spotify wrapped this year yes
1: it was very exciting for us
0: very exciting also if you want to support the show we have a ko-fi which is linked in the description you can do a one-time donation or a recurring donation and we appreciate that very much so thank you so
1: much all right. Okay. Lizzie, who are we closing out the year with? Ooh, fancy. Okay, so today we are going to talk about a story from the Gwich'in people about two elderly women called Sa and Jitsi Gyak. So I think I said, like, last episode that I got a bunch of books from the used bookstore and, like, the folklore mythology section. And this was yeah. one of them. I hadn't heard oh, of this Oh, that's awesome. Or this story. And now I love it. And I'm it was a super good find. Yeah. So the story comes from the Gwich'in people, who are an Athabascan people who live in the northwestern part of North America, with about 3,200 people in Canada and about 1,100 people in Alaska, and they are one of 11 Athabascan groups living in the portion of interior Alaska and northwestern Canada. And the story that I'm telling you today was written down by Velma Wallace, who was told the story by her mother. The story has been passed down in Kutchin villages along the Yukon for many years and tells about two elderly women who are abandoned by their tribe during a brutal winter. Mm. And Wallace published the story in 1993 under the title Two Old Women. Huh. Yeah. And we, too, love talking about elderly women, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a, really a great. Story. It's a really a
0: themed month this month. Old women. There's <laughs> a lot of
1: old women. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, and I'm super excited to get into it. So, shall we start with a story? Yes, let's do it. So, there were two old women who belonged to a migratory band of people in the Arctic region of Alaska. One was called Chitsikyak, which means chickadee, and she was 80. And the other one was called Sa, and she, which means star, and she was 75. So, it was winter, and food was scarce. The little food there was was first given to the hunters, because their skills were needed by the rest of the group. But there were too many to feed, and many were malnourished, and some even died of starvation. Mm-hmm. Which, side note, kind of correlates to our last episode, where we're also talking about the brutality of winter. Yeah. So, one day, the chief announced that the people were going to leave the two women behind. They were the two eldest people in their group, and as such were seen as you know, weak. This was a pretty common act in such harsh climates, and everyone was cold and starving, so nobody was really shocked and no one contested this decision. Mm-hmm. The two old women disguised their shock and stared ahead without emotion. When they were young, they had also seen elderly people left behind, but they hadn't expected it to happen to them. Mm-hmm. Chitsikyak had a daughter named Ajineli, and a grandson named Shu. Aginelli chose not to speak up about abandoning her mother because she didn't want herself and her son to be left behind, too. But Jitsigak was deeply hurt that even her daughter didn't stand up for her. Mm. The rest of the band began to pack up to move right away, and Ajinele offered her mother some babish, which was a sort of cord made of raw moose hide. Um, But Jitsigak ignored her presence. Mm. Wow. Yeah, it's rough. So Aginelli laid the babish on the ground and turned to leave. Jitsigak's grandson... Shu Zhu was disturbed by this turn of events and wanted to speak up but his mother warned him against it so the people wouldn't turn on him as well so ultimately he stayed silent however he removed his hatchet from his belt and placed it within the branches of a spruce tree where people wouldn't see he caught his grandmother's eye and pointed to his empty belt then to the tree so that she would understand Mm -hmm. so that she would have a chance of surviving Mm Good. yeah so the people moved on leaving Chitsigak and Sut sitting stunned on their piles of spruce boughs. Sut was indignant. She and her friend weren't even close to death, and yet they were condemned to die. She said to Chitsigak that they could just sit here and wait for death, but this would prove the others were right about their helplessness. Mm-hmm. She said that if the two of them were going to die, they should die trying. Chitsigak agreed. Together, they were able to set up a shelter and a few rabbit snares, but neither were very optimistic that they would actually catch anything. They saw a squirrel skittering up a tree, and Sut was able to throw the hatchet and kill the animal, drawing upon hunting knowledge that she hadn't used in a long time. Mm. Yeah, so the two women boiled the squirrel meat in snow water and drank the broth. It was the first time they'd eaten in a long time, since the people didn't like to waste food on people about to die. Mm. They went to sleep but were both awakened by a scream. They got dressed and ran to check their snares, where there was a rabbit caught. Suck held the animal, and they went back to their camp with renewed hope. Mm. Yeah, so over the next few days, they began recalling skills that they had learned when they were younger. They made snowshoes out of birch wood and were able to catch another rabbit. They decided it would be smart to move camp, and Jitsigak recalled a place near a creek where they used to fish, so they decided to go there. Mm -hmm. The journey there was cold and arduous and lasted a few days, during which they pushed their bodies to their physical limits and were in great pain, but still they pushed on. There were times during the journey where Jitsigak thought it would be easier to just curl up and let death take her, but she and her friend moved forward. Eventually, they arrived at the lake and set up camp. The next day, the two women worked making preparations for the winter and setting up rabbit snares. In the evening, they sat around the campfire, and Jitsigak thought about her family and about how her daughter had abandoned her and fought off tears. Mm. She noticed Set was also deep in thought, so she decided to speak. She told Set that when she was a little girl, the people left her grandmother behind. She couldn't walk and was nearly blind, and everyone was fearful of death. Due to harsh conditions and lack of food Chitsigak's father and brothers argued with the rest of the men but ultimately they lost they bundled her grandmother up and put blankets all around her even though she was too blind and deaf to hear what was going on Chitsigak thought she knew what was happening because as they left camp she could hear her crying
0: oh my gosh lizzie <laughs> uh,
1: yeah it's 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 sad i mean this is very sad it it is I mean, it is a rough landscape if the setting is is grim But, um, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, she later learned that her father and brothers went back to camp to end her life so that she wouldn't suffer. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, it's a horrible decision to have to make. Like, they're not reveling in it. Like, they, I mean, it's it's horrifying. Yeah. When she finished, Set began telling her own story. When she grew up, she was like a boy, always with her brothers and learning things from them instead of sewing or other womanly duties. Hmm. As she grew up, she noticed the girls around her getting married and having children while she was still free like a child. People mocked her and her mother tried to get her to stay home and work, but she didn't want to. She was still doing her share of the work by providing food, sometimes hunting more food than the men. Who did not like that food began to grow scarce and her people decided they had to leave behind an elderly woman so didn't really know the old woman and had barely noticed her up until that point but when she learned what was about to happen to her Su argued that it was wrong she was the only one to stand up for this woman and she argued with the chief who was a cruel man and said to her all right strange girl you will stay with the old one mm. yeah so Se's family was horrified and begged her to apologize to the chief She wouldn't. Her people moved on and left her and the old woman behind. Food was scarce, but they survived for a while on mice, owls, and other small animals that So could find. The old woman didn't survive the winter, and then So was alone. Mm. She said to Chitsikak, "At least you and I have each other." In her isolation, she had begun talking to herself frequently. One day, she was walking along, talking to herself, when a voice came and asked her who she was talking to. She turned and saw a big and strong-looking man, and was embarrassed. (laughs) (laughs) I know meet cute. She told the man her story and he said that he was also abandoned by his people, although for him it was because he had fought with another man over a woman. Mm. Yeah. set <laughs> and the man grew close and ended up joining Jutsugak's band. However, her husband died when he tried fighting a bear. Oh. I know, he sounds awesome. Yeah. Jutsugak told her that she was lucky because Jutsugak was forced to be with an older man with whom she had her daughter. Oh. Yeah, I know. She didn't want to get married, but made her which yeah anyway they reflected on their stories and were happy to get to know each other better. During their time together, they began talking about anything and everything and enjoying each other's company. After some time, the two women were used to fending for themselves and caught plenty of rabbits, grouse, and muskrats. And eventually, they decided to move camp again, this time to an undesirable location with lots of mosquitoes so that they wouldn't come across their former band. Before Before they decided to move, they had taken lots of bark off the surrounding birch trees for varying purposes, which they now recognized as a mistake because potential travelers would recognize it as a sign that someone lived there. Mm. But they couldn't do much about it besides hope that nobody would find them. In their new camp, they set up their belongings, including their large cache of dried meat from all the hunting they were able to do. They also caught fish easily and added a large amount of fish to their cache. They found a new problem, which is that they caught so much fish that they didn't know what to do with it and created standing caches to hide them from predators. Nice. I mean, it it is probably easier to feed two people than many dozens of people, but... Mm -hmm wake anyway, good for them. So, meanwhile, mm-hmm. their former band was not doing well. Oh, no. They su- yeah, they were suffering, and they missed the two old women who they had abandoned. The chief led them to the place where they had abandoned them, but they were shocked that there were no signs that anyone had ever been there, not even a tent or any human remains. Among the band was a man named Dako, who was old, though not as old as Sa and Jitsigak, and had worked as a tracker. The chief asked him to take a group of men and search the nearby camps. They came to where the women set up their first and second camps, but saw nothing. Mm. The men wanted to turn around, but Dako implored them to look closer at their surroundings. He told them to look at the birch trees and how they had been stripped. Dako walked in the direction that they thought he thought the old women might have taken, seemingly senseless because they wouldn't have wanted to be found. Eventually, he smelled smoke, and so he stood and called out the women's names. When Chitsigak and Sut heard this, they were fearful, but decided to answer back. Dako and his men traveled in the direction of their voices. When they approached, they told the women they meant no harm, and that the chief sent them to find them. Stutt and Jisikyak were understandably distrusting of the chief, but believed that Dako and his men were trustworthy, so they invited them inside their shelter and served them dried fish and rabbit broth. The men realized that not only had these two elderly women survived, But they had done well for themselves, faring even better than their people, who were half-starved. Dako told them that the people were not doing well, and that most of their group feel bad about what was done to the two of them. And the chief will probably ask them to rejoin. Hmm. Yeah, so um, Set said so that they will leave us alone again when we need them the most. And Dako said he didn't know what would happen, but that if it were to happen again, he would protect them with his life. Mm-hmm. The other men in Dako's group said the same thing. The women talked privately. Set was ready to trust them, but Chitsikyak was unsure and was worried that the people would take their food stores away. Set said to remember that they are suffering and that they should put away their pride. She reminded her friend of her grandson, and Jitsigak knew that she was right. Su told Dako that she didn't blame them for the way that they acted because she knew what cold and hunger could do to a person, and that they would be willing to share their food stores, but that the people could not become greedy, for they would be willing to fight to the death for what is theirs. They would not return to the band, but would share when needed and speak to Dako and the chief, but no one else. Dako and his men left to deliver the message, and Su and Jitsigak slept without worries because they were no longer alone yeah they felt hopeful that's nice yeah yeah so the chief decided to respect the women's wishes the people were happy because they were able to eat properly and were filled with a sense of renewed hope when they learned that the two women were doing well they settled in a new camp nearer to the women and eventually the chief asked if others could visit them because many missed the two women and longed to see them chitsigak was reluctant to accept but she missed her family so they accepted and people began visiting them Bringing gifts of moose meat and animal furs, and relations between the two groups became better. So the people came to have a new respect for these two women and the knowledge and wisdom that they had to share. At first, Chitzygak didn't see or hear anything from her family. One day, she was gathering wood when she heard a voice behind her say, I have come for my hatchet. Shu Zhu and Chitsigak hmm. stared at each other with tears in their eyes before Chitzygak finally embraced her grandson. Hmm. Yeah, it's not nice. He loved his grandmother and he was really, really upset. But. So, yeah, it's a touching scene. So, Shu Zhu came to visit them every day. But Ajinelli felt too ashamed to be able to face her mother. Shu Zhu told Jitsigak that he was worried for his mother because she was making herself old with grief. Jitsigak mm. told him that she understands why her daughter did what she did and that she didn't hate her. So he told his mother he relayed the message, and she was stunned, though she was still afraid to face her mother. Xu Zhu encouraged her to go see her, and when Ojinelli arrived at the two women's camp, Chisigak embraced her daughter. Aww. And they both cried. I know. Oh, That's nice. Yeah. The chief appointed Se and Chisigak to honorary positions within the band, and everyone wanted to help them however they could. But they were enjoying their newfound independence, so they didn't allow much assistance. <laughs> nice, yeah. <laughs> More hard times followed, but the band never again abandoned any elders, and the two old women eventually died happily. The end. Wow! What a story! Isn't it great? I loved it. Yeah, that's
0: like such a that's like a whole that I mean, like I understand why um, the author wrote that in a book because that is like a whole book's worth of story right there. Yeah,
1: it's like a whole saga. It's not like a, just yeah. a small little folk tale. It's yeah, very in depth. Yeah, yeah. I
0: mean, well, what I was gonna say earlier is that you know we're seeing once again that the tradition or not really tradition, but the tendency to abandon the elderly and the weak quote-unquote, in times of hardship in different groups. We saw that when we were talking about Yamauba uba in mm-hmm. uh, Japan. Exactly. And I think we talked about it with a different woman, too, but I can't remember who.
1: I feel like a lot of the times, it's kind of mythic in that it wasn't, like, for sure that it actually happened in a lot of societies, but... It- Yeah, It has been at the very least legendary in many, many places and possibly Uh also practiced all over the world. Europe, North America, all over the place. Mm -hmm.
0: But yeah. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense because it does when you're creating legends and stories or like when legends and stories are being told and passed down. Like it's a very compelling story because it's a compelling question. What do you do? I mean, it's the trolley problem, right?
1: yeah there's no way to win really like do you yeah. sacrifice two people for the greater good
0: yeah basically and it's like obviously it's really awful and it was really upsetting for those women but it's like you can also understand where the people were coming from because it's yeah like, I mean it wasn't, wasn't like
1: a good? logical decision or like a happy decision it was more like how are we supposed to survive these really harsh times mm-hmm. yeah and their solution was incredibly you know it was not good for the women obviously
0: yeah it w- well it wasn't a good solution but it was also so you know a solution a time where there probably weren't wasn't really any good solutions exactly and I was I mean I was also thinking about like what you said at the beginning of like the food order and you know the hunters ate first and then they didn't give much to the rest of the, the people
1: yeah and
0: I mean that's a little I mean, I don't know how I feel about that I mean I don't know like I mean that's just we haven't like gone in depth about that like we don't know a ton about that in general. No, I think it, it makes like sense. I don't
1: know the d- It makes
0: sense that the hunters eat because they're the ones that are going out to do the hunting. But also, you know, looking after the weak and looking after the people in your community is really important. Looking after the people who can't always look after themselves.
1: And children as well are also vulnerable.
0: Yeah. But I think also that is like ultimately the message of the story, right? The story is not saying, oh, that was a good way. Yeah, of course. You know, the story is saying these women had lots of wisdom and strength to offer their people And by casting them aside, they were basically ignoring that fact or refusing to even consider that to be a possibility.
1: And it was also bad for the group because they were miserable. And it didn't even help them really with their food issues. It just really weakened morale and everyone was really sad.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like from what you've said, it's basically just a story that just talks about the wisdom and importance that elders have to a community. These women are able to survive out in the woods or the wilderness, I guess not the woods. I mean, mean, there was woods. woods involved. Yeah. <laughs> um but because they had so much attained wisdom from like the past decades of their lives like they knew so much because of their all their experiences.
1: Yeah. And, and experiences because of their them age to figure it out and survive and to thrive. figure it
0: out and survive and like actually do very well for themselves. Yeah. Which no one expected but they they knew they could do it because they had like they had the experience of hunting and they had the ex- knowledge of how you know animals work and stuff yeah
1: but i also think they didn't know they could do it they decided that they were going to try even if they ultimately yeah. just died it was yeah. better to to try even if they weren't certain of the outcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And so I think that, you know, it's, it shows if they were younger, they probably wouldn't have been able to do the same thing because they just didn't have the same experience. Yeah. And that shows, you know, the importance of even if you're old and you can't look after yourself, you're not strong enough to hunt anymore necessarily.
1: Yeah. I mean, they really struggled with their, you know, elderly bodies like they were in a lot of yeah. a lot of the time.
0: Yeah, like you can't go out anymore and do a ton of stuff to look after your community. You still should be a part of your community because you have things to offer in different ways. It's not just like the physical labor is the, yeah. isn't the only way you can contribute.
1: Definitely. And even if you're not actively contributing, you can still be like a valuable member of the community. And I think it shows enough strength that just to say like you may not think I'm a valuable person anymore, but I I do. I still think that I have value and I will prove it. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, and that's really awesome. Yeah, Jitsi really, like, struggled with that. Like, at first, she was just like, okay, well, nobody nobody values me in my life, so I might as well just give up and die. Yeah. But then se- says, like, no, actually, we do have value, and we can survive. hmm And they do.
0: Yeah, and they do. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah,
1: I think it's such an amazing story. Yeah.
0: I think it's the story of the daughter not saying anything is really powerful as well. And the story, of the forgiveness element in so many stories, there just isn't allowed to be forgiveness because there's so much black and white morale. In like legends and folklore and stuff. And so whenever we like come across a story that allows there to be forgiveness and like people to go redeem themselves say like, yeah, what I did was wrong. And I feel really bad about it. And the person being like, yes, but in the future, we're going to do better. And we're going to do that together is like super powerful.
1: I agree. And I also think that there's the aspects to the story that show their trust was like broken and the people had to like rebuild it. Yeah. And like they had to grovel in front of these two women because they Mm -hmm. acted horribly and they have to prove themselves now to show that like they are trustworthy and that they actually are sorry and like are going to change their behaviors. And that's also really nice. Yeah, and that's
0: really important.
1: I just remembered, I hadn't thought about this, but when you were talking about forgiveness, I remembered in the Yanenga episode how um, the cruel father figure, like, he was kind of redeemed at the end by, like, teaching his grandson. Right. And when he had kind of not been a good father to Yanenga, and he... Yeah, and it's, like, nice to be able to show, like, yeah, people can be redeemed. Yeah. It doesn't change the ways that they acted in the past, but, like, it's, it's nice to have some nuance in terms of people's behaviors and like if they deserve any redemption or forgiveness I mean that's really nice it's a nice theme yeah
0: I also really like that their people had to earn their trust back too yeah you know because it's like yeah that I mean that's really mess it's a really traumatizing experience to be abandoned to die yeah by people your community and the people you thought you could trust like
1: exactly You know, and and that's
0: something you can't just, like, go back to because of that.
1: And I think it's important that they learned that the women weren't going to, like, go crawling back to them once they Mm -hmm. found them again. Like, it was up to the people to, like, regain the two women's trust. Like, it wasn't Mm -hmm. that they were struggling. It was that they were the ones in power in the sense of, yeah, we, they had, they got to make the decision of, like, if they want to come back and, like, what were they going to do? And the chief had to disrespect that.
0: Yeah. But also that, you know, the women were, like... Well, they are struggling, they are suffering, and that's also important to consider. Like, we can't just let our, like, own hurt feelings... Ultimately, what it comes down to is like, people are starving, and we we gotta help them, too. Yeah. Because that that's the whole point. Like, we wanted people to help people who are starving and suffering, because that's how, like, they ended up in this place in the first place, is because no one wanted to help them. Or they were deemed, like, not worthy of being helped.
1: Yeah and it shows the importance of community and yeah cuz they were like even though they were really hurt by their people they still really missed them yeah and they missed a sense of community and like family and they missed the mm-hmm. little kids who they were fond of and mm-hmm. i didn't say that in the story but that was something from the book anyway yeah it's just a really beautiful story with beautiful themes. Mm -hmm. So the story was a part of a large tradition of oral storytelling, which, as we know, has been the case for thousands of years all over the world. So Emma Wallace's book, Two Old Women, represents an instance of writing down an orally transmitted tale and doing so in English, publishing it to an audience of Euro-American readers, which has both benefits and drawbacks. So Pollock and Ellen wrote in The Sacred Hoop, the oral tradition is a living body. It is in continuous flux which enables it to accommodate itself to the real circumstances of a people's lives. Producing a written version of an oral story represents what Gerald Visner called the sudden closures of the oral in favor of the scriptural, thus representing an end to the cycle of retellings that had shaped it up to that point. And like just mm. calls into question of what happens when you write down an oral story. Yeah,
0: no, absolutely. Very interesting question.
1: Yeah. And so when Wallace first chose to publish Two Old Women, it caused debate within her community. Many people were concerned that the representation of senicide would shine a negative light on the Gwich'in people, and there was also a sense of reluctance in broadcasting their culture's stories to outsiders. Which, yeah, is very understandable. Mm -hmm. Catherine Peter, a Gwich'in elder, said, Selling your stories is kind of like selling your heritage to another nation. There's always an undercurrent of suspicion that whites will take over and profit from what belongs to natives. Mm -hmm. So when the book was published, it received positive reviews. And many of the reviewers implicitly illuminated the appeal of the book to Western audiences with what Jeannie Babb referred to as... A romantic conception of the other—a noble savage in an exotic natural landscape—who, because closer to nature, is closer to universal wisdom about the human condition. Mm. So, like for example, in a blurb on one edition of the book. A quote from Ursula K. Le Guin states, This story seems to come from a place and people utterly different from modern America, speaking straight to the heart with clarity, sweetness, and wisdom.
0: Ursula, no! I know! Ursula, no!
1: I know, I know. Alright. And yeah, another (laughs) example, an editor at HarperCollins said about the book, It's just such a remarkable thing to imagine for us New Yorkers, a seemingly barren wasteland, and how these two women survived. That's yeah so no yeah no no not good not good phrasing or thoughts so these are just two examples of many instances that both exoticize the characters and the gujin people while taking the story completely out of its context to highlight its universal applicability Mm -hmm. i think it's obvious why this is disrespectful first of all it's racist but secondly it centers misunderstandings of the story itself By taking the story out of its cultural context, the message is completely misinterpreted, which Jeannie Babb talks about in her article, Pollock and Alan's Grandmothers, Toward a Responsive Feminist Tribal Reading of Two Old Women, which I'm drawing on a lot for my analysis.
0: Awesome.
1: So Western storytelling is often viewed in the lens of archetypes and a general narrative structure of conflict crisis resolution within which the story of Se and Jitsikyak would be classified as man versus nature. For us, I'm sure you as well. Like, it's super, like, reminiscent of stuff we learned about in English class, you know? No,
0: yeah, yeah. I absolutely learned that.
1: Yeah, exactly. Seeing the story through this lens suggests a protagonist and an antagonist, a win-lose situation that oversimplifies the relations of power within the story. In most Native American literatures, power structures are less about conflicts between powers and more about balance between powers and the belief in the complementary nature of all life forms. An example of this from within the text is include like there's a scene in the book, where Se and Chizigak discover a bear who tries to eat their fish. And so they come to, like, an agreement with the bear where they will leave fish guts out for it and, like, from a safe distance away from their camp. And they mm-hmm. do that, but they get to keep the parts of the fish that they want, obviously. And yeah, it just kind of symbolizes like symbiosis with nature. Yeah, for sure. And there are other examples of that as well within the text. I obviously didn't go into detail, every single detail within the book. It's like a hundred and something pages. But anyway, so in terms of the power between Sa and Chizikyak and their former group, this is still shown by the way that the exchange of power is ongoing and reciprocal. After they reunite with their people, they provide them with food and the people gift them moose, meat, and animal furs. To view their story as one about struggle with nature ignores the principle of cooperation within nature that are central to the story. Mm. It's also not an individualistic story about the triumph of people in isolation, like we're kind of used to with nature stories in, like, Western literature. So, a quote from Jeannie Bab: Set and Jitsigak are not the Gwijin equivalents of Huck and Jim floating down the river on a raft. When Se is first abandoned in young womanhood, she realizes that isolation from the group diminishes and impoverishes the individual. Mm-hmm. Even though Se and Jutsi can survive on their own, they begin missing their community, and Se says that the body needs food, but the mind needs people. Mm-hmm. When they reunite with their former band, it's not only an act of wise forgiveness, but a return to the cycle of balanced interdependence and interconnectedness. Yeah. The two women realized during the course of the story that they had allowed themselves to become too dependent allowing others to provide for them while they rested and complained, which led their people to pit them as individuals against the group. Mm -hmm. Both the women and the rest of the group suffer until harmony is restored, and Soot and Chisigak are seen as important members of the community. Another layer of specific cultural context within the story involves the ongoing threat of a proposed oil development on the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. Oh. Had you heard of that? It was, um... Is this, was this in the book? No, 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 no. it's not in the, it's not in the book, but it's just, like, within the context of it being published. Really?
0: Yeah, I I I think I've heard about it.
1: The Arctic National Wildlife Refuge is important to the Gwich'in people because it provides them access to caribou, which are important to the Gwich'in culturally. Mm-hmm. Two Old Women was published in 1993 when this debate was very important and contains some clear parallels. In the story, the people are threatened by scarcity of natural resources, and in the present day, the Gokujin people are also threatened by the taking away of important physical resources. Mm -hmm. In 2021, the Gokujin people are still fighting for permanent protection of the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, though a huge development Mm -hmm. occurred in 2019 when they passed the Arctic Cultural and Coastal Plain Protection Act that halted work on the oil development.
0: Oh, that's super great.
1: Yeah, it really is. And that's why it's not universally applicable. Like, the story in it, the historical sense that it takes place in, I mean, it's it's important to the to the story, to the characters, and to the, the balance of powers. But, yeah, taking that out of context, this is like a yeah. big part of the big aspect of the story. Yeah, for sure. Like I said earlier, the vitality of oral traditions lies in their cyclical nature, mm-hmm. where lessons and themes in the stories continue to be adapted. The story of Se and Tsitsikyak, though what happened far in the past, continuously relevant to the Gwichin people and their values. I feel like in acknowledging the importance of oral traditions and the fact that this story comes from a long line of Gwichin oral traditions, it's hard to ignore the fact that the story is specific to the Gwichin people. It is not universally applicable and its strength is found in it's not being universal. Stripping the story from its specific cultural context misinterprets it and even weakens it. Mm, yeah, which yeah, this whole discussion like calls into question the way that we westerners interact with stories from cultures and places that we don't belong to and the fact that we try to make stories and characters seem appealing by placing them into contexts that we understand Mm -hmm. which i think is understandable but it should be acknowledged that the lens through which we understand other cultures, mythology, and folklore is very biased.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I mean, you can't help, like, where you're from and, like, what languages you speak, but you can help the way that you approach other mm-hmm. cultures and... Yeah. Yeah, if you, if, you're, if you want to be receptive to, like, lessons, like, just listening and not inputting your own yeah. thoughts. Mm-hmm. The story of Set and Chizigak is extraordinary, like we were talking about. It's... It's a beautiful story. Mm-hmm. The themes, like the importance of community, the importance of valuing elders, um, the rebuilding of trust after acts of cruelty. Um, I loved reading it. I was really enthralled by it, and I hope I did it justice today.
0: Yeah, I had a good time listening to you tell it. Thank you. So that was good. Yeah, it was. It was a really interesting experience because it was like we tell each other stories a lot. We tell each other stories of mythology and folklore a lot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this one, it was just very much nice to just sit back and hear you telling a story and, like, talking about it. And it wasn't, like, there wasn't really any supernatural intervention.
1: Mm-hmm. There wasn't, I mean, I love that kind of thing, too, but...
0: Yeah. Yeah, you know, it was, like, you weren't, like, oh, and then, like, yeah, there wasn't any divine intervention that happened. There wasn't any, like, big climactic moments, necessarily.
1: No, just, like, a human story. And... It was just
0: a, yeah, it was a very human story. You are just,
1: like, telling me about people yeah and yeah it was just really nice I agree with that and yeah just like thinking about oral traditions like the way that we interact with stories like oral traditions it really made me think about like broadly oral traditions mm-hmm. traditions in general mythology folklore like it really relies on communal storytelling that's kind of what mythology yeah. and folklore like are yeah and that's really beautiful. And that's why I think any sort of adaptation of some sort of traditional story is, like, so nice. Like, I've talked about this before, I think. But, like, yeah, modern retellings, it's just, like, a really nice way to continue the tellings of stories that have been told for a long time. And, yeah. And, yeah, it's just a beautiful thing about folklore, mythology, legends, etc. Their, like, their cyclical nature and their, like, adaptability and just the way that they keep going and going. And people adding their own meaning to it.
0: Yeah, and I really loved what you said about, you know, the question of writing down an oral story and how that stops the cycle. Because, you know, now nothing like can necessarily can be added to it Mm -hmm. or it can't be changed in the same way. And I, I thought that was just really interesting because I... I'm super interested in the concept of oral storytelling and yeah. oral storytelling, like ritual and practice and stuff. Yeah. And I mean, there's like, just, it's just so interesting. And the question of oral versus written
1: yeah. written
0: storytelling and it's like, yeah, that stops it. You know, that you, it's not the same thing and you can't like really, you can't really travel between one and the other that simply.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it's not, not a bad thing, of course, to write down oral traditions like it preserves the story for Mm -hmm. yourself your own culture as well as other people Mm -hmm. as well but um yeah yeah i mean it's nice to have some sort of archive of the way that the story was told in like 1990 or whatever and maybe it'll be told in a different way many years from now and that's also Mm -hmm. wonderful i mean it's, it's, it's nice to like write down a story like that's not the definitive telling of it but that's a way to interact with it
0: yeah and I think, yeah, the question of, like, the definitive telling is so important because there's no definitive telling for, like, any of these stories. Exactly. And that's what's fun.
1: And that also goes for and cultures with, like, a bigger literature, like, written yeah. tradition as well. Like, there's still many different ways to interpret a story. And, I mean, I think that even now, like, generally mythology, folklore from all over everywhere, it all started with oral tellings yeah like even it the ones have, even the ones that were written down like they're it comes from a long line of oral traditions more often than not mm-hmm. yeah yeah like i remember what you were saying in. um i think it was the episode about the icelander sagas yeah yeah
0: yeah guthrief yeah
1: yeah about how like even like sagas like things that are that have been written down like passed through oral traditions first most likely yeah i mean that's really nice I mm-hmm. just love mythology, folklore, sagas, everything. It's all great. Mm-hmm. I love it all.
0: Yeah. Is it's all about telling stories.
1: It is. And that's so wonderful. And I mean we can see it here today. The story of S so- and Chisikyok is so good. I'm really glad that we get to read about it. I know that there was some debate within the Gwichin community of like whether we should even be allowed to access it. And that's too so, like I super respect that. But mm. I uh I loved it. I loved reading it. And telling about
0: it. Well, yeah, thank you so much for telling us that story, Lizzie. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to subscribe, comment, leave a review, tell all your friends, donate to our Kofi, and we'll be back here in two weeks with another episode. See you then. Thank you. The mythol ladies podcast is produced by Elizabeth LaCroix and Zoe Kenninger. Today's episode was researched and presented by Elizabeth LaCroix. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Mytholadies and visit us on our website at mytholadies.com. Our cover art is by Helena Cayo. Our music was written and performed by Icarus Tyree. Thank you for listening. See you next time.